Welcome to the Creative Land Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews of items, and convention panels, and other exciting things that we run into from time to time. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok's story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. I like to draw direct in the middle. Yes. So you can hit anywhere. That's true. What are you doing? Mr. Springer. Yes. Oh, the things with the things. The things with the things. The things with the tags. I think this is almost full on the battery, so I think it's going to be all right. Okay. I can get you the cable if you think it best. I would say always cable up. All right, I'll cable up. All right, Mr. Springer, I always listen to you. On your, your advice there. Then you should be fabulous. Thank you. I can do that. Oh, that happens. That's not a good thing. I said my OCD has made me what I am today. I'm a little too tight. I mean, I relate to that too. All right, and we'll just, I'll add text later. Okay, and I'll get the cable out. Would you hold that? I make you as my assistant to hold all the things. See what happens when you're not on a panel? <laughs> I was trying to give you breaks and not over schedule us <laughs> to everything. Yeah, no, I thought, let's try this thing where Temperance and Evie and I are not doing everything. That's crazy. Yes. Well, you know the vendor, I'm just saying. I know. She's just like, she's really good at selling. Yes. She comes up and she, how would you like this bathroom? Uh, she takes her I got Yes. You have.
12 or 5. All right, we're at the hour. So now we can continue with the shenanigans. Um, I would like for each of you to go down the road, introduce yourselves, and maybe give a short, you know, like, how did you come to Stephen Park? Short, you know. Yeah, no, I know. I have like an essay, book length, <laughs> short story, novella, and a uh, stay, you know, Hallmark movie version. So. I was born. <laughs> so there it was. Okay, so um, I'm Dr. Sparky McTroll. Um, with my partner in STEAM, Chief Inspector Rasmus Drake, we write the Adventures of Drake and McTroll. Perhaps you've seen us in the vendor hall or were fortunate enough to do our hot potato school of writing. Okay. So many shenanigans. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I came to Steampunk through Girl Genius by uh, the Folios. Yes. And I have been involved in, in fact, I came to this con back when I was in, in high school and college in Tucson, like 40-ish years ago. And um, and I've been involved in a lot of, uh, I've read a lot of science fiction and fantasy, but I think it wasn't until I met Steampunk and that I saw Girl Genius that I felt like I was just gonna jump in the deep end of the pool. And, um, and we kind of did that at the same time with the help of a friend who's like, hey, I, uh, I'm gonna be in town and there's a Steampunk convention. I know you guys kind of like that. Why don't you come on down? And that's kind of how we wound up in the deep end of the steampunk pool. I'm Chief Inspector Erasmus Drake. I was born in a boiler room under oily rags and uh, using. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, all right, here we go. We're in it now. It's on. Um, it's the same story as hers, and I won't bother to embellish it too much, other than. We showed up at this steampunk convention with friends, and we were dressed probably in the equivalent of blue jeans and etc. And I think the only thing we had that we thought was even slightly dressed up was like a shirt. Of, and we walk in and we're like, oops, we've obviously walked into some <laughs> show like where they're, where they're practicing, because everybody's dressed up. And so we literally walked in and walked out, and it's like, oops, we're in the wrong place. And it didn't take us too long to figure out that steampunk conventions were different than any other convention, mm -hmm. and that everybody had something on. As a, I mean, we were used to Comic Con where maybe forty percent, and the rest are sort of dressed in uh, in other casual clothes. Um, we bought what effectively was our iconic outfits in that, and um, and then we started publishing on the web and doing other steampunk related things and uh, once you get into the deep end of the pool it's hard to get back out that's true come back um, i'll come back to me i'm going to move to our lovely um, guest here so i am dion deviation on the web um one half of the indigo path which is a fashion and art business local here to tucson um and as far as getting into steampunk, which I am not wearing today and was yesterday, mm. Mm. Um, as far as getting into steampunk, I think my first encounter that was not classical steampunk, I'll put it that way, was actually the movie Wild Wild West. When that movie came out, all the different, they, they had taken all this stuff I knew and made it steam powered and it was so clever and I was obsessed with it for the longest. So now I didn't see this again until I started going to um, uh, anime convention in Atlanta and just because Atlanta is kind of small, there was a guy, and I cannot, um, what was his name? Jacques Monahue Fromage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's amazing. You've uh, seen Jacques, him. Jacques, what, 
I know Fromage is at the end. But anyway, he's just amazing. And he was at the convention and was just a, a spectacle. I have no other way to put it. He's a, he, yes. he, he's, he was amazing. And I was doing a maid cafe at the time that both of us were in. And, um, you know, I, I actually needed a way to better focus at a maid cafe. I'm a big role player. And once I'm kind of nice in my role, I can actually do things that I, as my normal self would not function. That sounds really odd, but for whatever reason, when I'm in a character, I am that character for the time. So um, my first character became a, um, a automaton um, who could, you know, do things for the maid cafe that I had trouble focusing on without having the the buffer of that character. And so that's kind of how. I, that might be both of us actually that might be our I feel like he was the first person we met and um yeah so we found out about Atlanta's steampunk scene which was at the time we weren't quite age appropriate for the <laughs> for the scene um and uh, but yeah so that was kind of the introduction there and so Gaius Augustus um let's see what she said I think I loved Wild Wild West when I was a kid I don't think I associated the word to the fashion until much, much later when we were going to cons. Um, and I was health, healthily obsessed with Jules Verne uh, novels uh, for a long time when I was younger. But again, never associated that with any kind of culture or fashion because they didn't really go out and do anything. I was just, you know, a little nerd. Um, and so when we started doing steampunk, uh, it was just another one of the fashions we were kind of doing. But it's also been one of the best ones for building a character and really just like being able to just go out and have fun being a totally different person for a while. Thank you guys. Thank you, Dion. Um, I'm Madame Askew and I'm very happy to be here. I've been coming to Tescon for a while now to have you all this treat. Dr. Sparky. But I love that you came here and, you know, when you were just a wee strip of a thing, you know, just very useful. Um, so I've been doing steampunk now for a while and um, I came at it through books, through literature. I found the stories first and I sort of gobbled them up. It used to be you get one a year and it was like, oh, there's more steampunk in the universe. <laughs> Smell it. <laughs> I could acquire it and then about uh, eight, nine years ago, um, suddenly I was like Googling, as one does, and uh, yeah, like Googled on the Google <laughs> machine, and uh, steampunk fashion came up, and it was such a revelation. People do it, people dress like this, <gasps> people make art. No, there's music too. Wait, there's a convention happening in March, and it's December. <laughs> I guess I need to make. Clothes. So that's how I fell in um, into the community. It was about three months before the first Wild Wild West Con. And this is definitely the deep end of the pool. Oh no, I'm done. I'm, I'm a lifer. <laughs> I never escape. I bring everyone with me. So that's my intro. Um, now this is called the Steampunk Starter Kit. And it's kind of like a 101 that you may have seen at some panels, but I, I hope with some twists on it. Uh, please do ask your questions as we're going through the panel. And if you have a question for a particular member of the panel, just say, you know, I really want to ask Dr. Sparky where she got her smashing chapeau, for instance. 
the chit. Also, I do want to know that at some point. All right. All right, good. So um, one of my questions for our panelists today is, what was a tool that really helped you engage once you discovered it? How did you go from, woo, I found it to, oh, I want to like do the thing, hit the costume. So is this like, I found the thing that I, then I had to make a costume out of the whole thing? Because that happens to me all the time. I mean, that could be, you can interpret that question 100% that way, should you like. I like the open-ended questions. All right. Plus I've had one cup of tea, so we're all on that ride <laughs> together. Uh -oh. Do death. we need to send somebody out to fetch more? Like three pots is where I should be at right now. Three pots um, yes. So, actually, uh, funnily enough, it's not officially word, funnily enough. Mm -hmm. um, I should also point out that my partner in Steam here is um, a notorious troublemaker when it comes to my clothes. He's forever talking me into things where I'm like, no, no, I don't need that. This is like even in real life. And then. I'm like, I don't have anything that goes with, I'm going to have to do a whole new outfit. And then he makes his face like, why are you telling me this again? Like, you know. So we were at an outlet mall one day, and there, back when there was Nine West. And I, uh, I know, sad. They're recently demised. Anyway, but I found this pair of boots. They're like ankle boots, and they were like canvas and, and leather. And they're like sort of a, a sort of an, a, like a linen colored canvas. and some suede and you're just drooling because you're okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay. that's true. And, um, and, and you know, pointy toes and heels. And I'm, he's like, ooh, these are cute. And I'm like, yeah, but I have nothing they go with. And he said, and then he made the face. And so I, I don't yet have this costume, but I'm working on a, a steamboat gambler costume. My costumer friend in San Diego, Colleen Rodriguez, is, is making the costume. Because unlike Madame Skew, I'm not a seamstress. But uh, she's making it for me. But it really, seriously, I'm working on this costume and I've got like the overskirt and I've got the parasol and I've got the shoes. But this all started with a pair of shoes. So uh, just like writing, you know, where ideas are everywhere, costumes are everywhere. Mm -hmm. You can just see something and think, ooh, that's the beginning of some costume. I'm actually going to go back to, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the con. The the original one that we oh Nova Albion. Oh my gosh, you have to go to that one. Yes, yes. So we walk into the vendor room and we have no steampunk anything. And the first thing she latches onto, of course, are these great big cape coats that are made of leather and multi hundred dollar worth of investment, but. I said, if we're going to do this, we need to pick some kind of personality because we can't just buy whatever looks shiny because you'll end up with a mess. Oh, you could. And <laughs> she said, I want to be an airship pilot. And I'm like, okay, but doesn't everybody want to be an airship pilot? She goes, no, 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 I want to be an airship pilot and a chief surgeon in the in, with medical capabilities. And I thought, that's amazing because in real life, she doesn't even like the sight of blood. <laughs> and like at the time, we weren't thinking about writing or anything. I was like, wow, that's that's like, here's the personality I wish I could have. And so I'm like, well, I need to think of something. And I'm walking around the room, and literally, I found a policeman's whistle. It was just one of the 
you know, $7 policeman's whistles made out of whatever junk metal that's shiny and silvery. And I said, that's it. I'll be, I'll be somebody from Scotland Yard. And from that, we built our two iconic images. But for the one thing, the one tipping point, it was that policeman's whistle. Fantastic. I, I love those details. Um, I'm going to continue with these two wonderful humans in a moment, but I'm going to dovetail. That, um, I think an important note is that you do not have to arrive steampunk with a persona fully formed. You actually, I think you ne need never have a persona, but if you want one, that's fantastic. But the littlest things can set you off on the path to the persona. And my story of how I became Madame Askew is uh, because of my friends. <laughs> They're sitting in the audience right now. Hello. Um, I run the Tucson Steampunk Society, and I have been doing so for many a year now. And I have a strict rule for myself that I should always be the first one to any event because I'm in charge. And I should be there when everyone arrives. And I want to be there at least 15 minutes in advance, but generally I, sh I shoot for half an hour. That's my personal schedule that no one else imposes. No one else is watching for, but I am. And so originally, when I was doing this, part of me, I was a little steampunk, and I was being yoked, see? <laughs> and I was so excited to throw some events. I was like, I'm gonna get to everything on time. And I was late. It was always only like 10 minutes early. And so I'd show up, I was American in those days, and I'd show up <laughs> at the events, and I'd be like, where's all this stuff? Oh my gosh, what's going on? <gasps> and I'd have a hat, and my hat would be like this, and I'd be like, where are the things? And my hat would get more askew. And so, this is true. And, um, you can't really, make this up. No, it's life is stranger than fiction. And so we were at this one event. I was still American. We were at this one event, character creation, and Temperance and her twin sister had watched me run around the room <laughs> with my chapeau going increasingly further onto the side of my head. Until <laughs> so I'm like standing at my position and I'm like, is everything here? <laughs> Where's my hat? And they go, you're so askew. You're like, you shouldn't be askew. You're like Lady askew, Mrs. askew, Duchess askew. I was married at the time. Mrs. was all right. Oh, single. Um, and they were like, no, no, we've got it. Madam askew. <laughs> my friends made my character. And that's, that's my story. Huzzah. Right, so you're all the same. That's what we should call you. Yeah, no, and, and I changed nationalities at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's remarkable. We're all askew. Everything's askew. Doctor over the pond. Right. So askew, I moved across time and space <laughs> to different era and country. There we go. <laughs> oh well um so finding we're gonna kind of like talk together because what ends up happening is we do this kind of creepy thing where we just kind of interrupt each other you i think you have seen it really well but yeah um fine so honestly i think we might have to answer the opposite of the question 
Um, again, I, I spoke on kind of being, when we discovered steampunk being like not quite age appropriate. And in Atlanta, all of the steampunks had a good 20 year lead on us. Oh. Um, oh. And it was, it was just one of those. And then we actually got a little jealous because it's like, well, I don't grow a mustache. I'll, you know. <laughs> so we, it was all, it felt like we were like the little fake steampunk babies. And they were very much like the upper class steampunk. Uh, so they yeah. were all like gentlemen and ladies and we were like, we are not cultured at all. So our, our it shows in our characters when we are, we're a little rough and tumble. Um, so as far as finding the right looks and the right things, actually, um, I don't know if it counts as a tool, but for me, it's been um, really delving into history and looking at when the steam revolution occurred right before industrialization and when the Victorian era was, because now technically the steam era is bigger than the Victorian era, and then using that to say, okay, I'm not all into this, like, I, I, even if I tried, you you would get a good laugh watching me trying to look very cultured and <laughs> wear very nice clothes or walk in shoes that are taller than flat, um, and I, uh, we, we couldn't do it. We couldn't, yeah, we, we would see, you know, got a little pocket watch and like, you know, some, and we just couldn't do it, so a lot of our stuff actually went into other aspects of either cultures that were being um, heavily visited yeah. by Britain during uh, <laughs> heavily visited colonized, <laughs> oppressed, and stolen. So you know, we, we went into other cultures and um, different things that were going on um, to to find our fabrics and our um, look and our. Thing. So, um, definitely. I think we also started thinking along the lines of instead of being historically accurate as far as Victorian, how can we say, okay, let's just pretend that steam power stuck? Uh-huh. What would today be like? And we were like, fashion would have moved on from Victorian. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely wouldn't have gone where it went. So, how do we kind of mix that in and make it so that uh, we're being respectful to the steampunk idea and the steampunk, you know, uh, feeling by kind of giving it our own twist based on both real histories and real places and where we kind of feel things might have gone had they stayed steam power, which in actuality is like very inefficient, right? Like there's very, <laughs> very few ways to use steam power in the mass way that uh, we use electricity and, and things today which makes it way more fun to try and figure out how we can make society work fully on the Yeah, and so because of that, we actually tend to take a lot of our stuff from um, the concept of tribalization. We wouldn't have been able to have huge cities if we had stuck with steam power. Um, cities would have been much smaller, probably with your whole of everything you're needing, and my doctor lives here, and my where I buy my clothes is all here in the same town. So you kind of become little tribes versus big um, metropolises. So honestly, I, I think our biggest kind of tool to help us in steampunk has been playing with history and then visiting the writers. And I was going to say imagination. Imagination, yeah. Visiting the writers, ha- let, borrowing someone else's imagination, reading what other people have already written and saying, oh, no, um, Octavia Butler didn't necessarily write steampunk, but Octavia Butler is one of my favorite authors for taking uncommon pieces of history and looking at, well, how would it have been different or how can I interject something in here? And it, w- it was, so, you know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of hard nerding. 
Um, as we <laughs> decide, it's a thing, heart nerding. Yes, yeah. um, so nice um, I embrace that term. Yeah, heart nerding. So I'm going to take some of your points, throw out a statement, invite commentary. I'm probably going to be less good at my normal questions, so I apologize. Send um, someone for tea. Right, bring all of it. Um, so I do this thing, and I heard it a little bit from you too. Victorian, that word comes up a lot, and there's a really heavy association, I think, between that idea of Victorian and steampunk. And sometimes when I meet newcomers, they think that's all it is, is Victorian. And by the way, love what you do, it's so good. Thank you. Um, I also love what these two do. So we've got a, just a wonderful array of steampunk ideas up here. Um, but what I have begun doing more strictly with myself, and it's inspired by a wonderful steampunk thinker, uh, Dr. Per Sean, who's a Canadian scholar. Um, yeah, no, I love him. He's so dear. The steampunk scholar, he actually got his PhD in steampunk literature. He's, he's a mensch. He's really a lovely human. And he's very strong that it, steampunk is not Victorian. Victorian is a piece of the steampunk sort of arsenal of things you could draw from. But to say only Victorian is to cut us off from the entirety of the world. And to also limit the conversation so you never talk about things like colonialism, tribalism, appropriation, uh, stolen culture, stolen cultural artifacts, all of these things that could sound really dreary and depressing because in reality they are um, terrible, terrible things that happened, but they can also be a strength in our community from which we can draw art, inspiration, dialogue, and um, I think it was like Captain LaGrange or one of those delightful creatures who's like, I like to think of steampunk as the past. Uh, better. <laughs> we could make it better. And how can you make something better if you ignore those sorts of, you know, nasty bits? Um, so I try very hard for myself now not to do that shorthand, although, you know, if you're in a convention of several hundred thousand people and they ask you, what is steampunk? What about time 300? I go, it's like... Victorian mad science, and they're like, oh, good, because that's much shorter than the um, normal 10-minute answer. So, you never um, want to say, let's sit down. Yeah. <laughs> Get a cuppa, we have a talk. Um, so I, I try really hard on that front for myself. But obviously I do Victoriana, so keep that in mind. I do love it, but I'm also aware that it's not the whole of the thing. I ask you, should we talk a bit about costuming? I mean, we should always talk about costuming. But I have a, I have a thought on this very topic that is costuming. Yes, please bring it. All right, so, um, uh, the chief inspector yes. in fiction is British. Yes. But Dr. McTrowell is actually an American and she's from the West. Oh, yes. And we have actually, in our stories, addressed some of the topics that you've just, we've got Hawaiians in the Hawaiian Triple Cross and, um, but, yeah, oh yeah, right. One of our major characters is half Indian and, and half British, um, uh, Jonathan Lord Ashley, and he has an interesting backstory. But with respect to costuming, 
Um, so it's a funny thing as a writer. Sometimes you write things. You're like, I need to put something here, and you just write something, and then later somebody goes, what was that thing? And you're like, ah. And for us, the first one of those was the Pecos incident. So there's one thing where somebody says about Dr. McTrell, and who can forget the Pecos incident? And they just on. It's like nothing. And we're like, okay, we have got to explain that at some point. So, and I'm promising this is coming back to costume. Yes. And the Pecos incident um, is happens around um, the the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, when the U.S. you know takes you know a huge part of what was then Mexico, which we happen to be sitting in at this very moment. Hello, Mexico. Yes. Um, but it also turns out to be the backstory of the coat. <gasps> it's it's Sparky's, you know, doing something and it's freezing cold and she's like, I'm never freezing again. And so she goes to a place which is obviously owned by somebody who's Mexican, right? Because it's, you know, near Albuquerque, you know, in, in 1849 and buys the coat. And so there's this tie-in between all of these things, between costuming and, and the history of these various places. Um, but and there's there's another costume in my teeny tiny repertoire as compared to the, the magnificence, which is Madame Skews. I'm really extra though. I'm not I'm not a good exemplar, or am I? Deep end of the pool. Um, but it's it's my it's my western because you're saying it's not it's not all Victoriana because there are fascinating things happening in the Americas at that point. Absolutely. And so there are there. Are, Western costumes for us. I have one I call Sparky Del Pecos, and it's 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 sort of uh, al almost um, time period appropriate. So delightful. Yes, dear Erasmus. Let me yes. Let me say a few words about maybe getting started. Yes, please. And because um, I I think about such things. So if you're interested in in dressing as steampunk. Let me start with the thing you don't have to do. And, and often the pictures you see, particularly if you Google images steampunk, one is you're going to get many young ladies <laughs> that are dressed up, which is fine. But and Thomas with those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You just can't get rid of that guy. No, he's he's a good guy. So um, one of the things you'll see is there's this meme that keeps happening over and over again, which is steampunk is mad scientists or inventors or um, extreme aristocrats, and they're usually slightly mad. But that's really sort of a very small part of the population at the time. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, the vast majority of people were poor, working hard, etc., and they fit into that just as well. So if I were starting off today and I was on a budget, I would probably look at the fact that at the time clothes were not quote unquote sized or tailor made. Um, the, the, so I would go to a thrift store and buy a shirt that's too big and then use something to hold my sleeves up. Sleeve garter. And I would, yeah, yes, sleeve garter. And I would get a hat that's too big, maybe a little ripped, but it has some age on it. And I would buy a broomstick and take everything off and make it into a chimney sweep thing and put some makeup on. And probably for less than $100, I could actually be a pretty impressive person for that era. Now, once again, I'm leaning towards the Victorian side, um, 
but there are, you know, that's sort of the way to think, is that the vast majority of people did not have enough money to wear what we're wearing. We're sort of playing this aristocratic, upper-class, almost cartoonish version of, of what's going on. Um, however, which is a lot of fun, because you can sort of make up a personality associated with that. Well, it's kind of like the SCA being all lords and ladies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well put, well put. And so, you know, the, the first people that I would think about, and unfortunately being male, this is probably, I would think about chimney sweeps, people who handle coal, uh, people who keep boilers working, all of those maintenance type jobs or, or even less, but uh, I'm sure there's the equivalent side for, for uh, all the genders. So I, I guess um, what I'm saying is, if you're just starting off, literally you can get goggles something to tie around your neck which can actually just be a sash or bow tie or whatever and the rest can be almost anything and and a lot of it is your personality and how you present it no david i really like that point and um, i'd love to get some more thoughts on beginner options i'd say you could probably get out of the door at a charity shop doing that for like 20 dollars okay yeah especially here if you go to Tucson Thrift, if you live here in Tucson, you go to Tucson Thrift, you can get a hat for five quid, um, like, you know, some sort of shirt-like thing that <laughs> counts for, you know, a couple of bob here. And it's just very inexpensive. It's nice living not in Southern California. Things are much cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Even our thrift oh, stores. Oh. You don't have Even our thrift yeah. stores, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, We're from San Diego, where... There's a multiplier. Yes, yeah. ten times. Um, so the other thing I like to was talking about a variety of jobs, and just like I think steampunk is not only in England and in the Victorian era, it was all over the world. It is not only five jobs either. And in a world that continues to have steam, you're going to have so many things that people need to do. Some of them legal, some of them not. Some of them mundane, some of them more, you know, exciting. And we don't have an order like the SCA where you have to work to get a title or someone bestows your, you know, your AOA on you. So you can just be like, well, I'm Lord Bubbly Squeak and this is my tea plantation in Darjeeling. <laughs> and we go, hello, Lord Bubbly Squeak, how's your tea? Sounds grand. <laughs> so, please. Well, and actually, you know, so on the beginner thing, I want to add two things. First, as beginners, um, one thing I loved in steampunk again is I met this person who was pretty much like famous in steampunk society who just opened arms to us and treated us as if we had been doing steampunk as long as he had, respected every ridiculous choice that we had made at the time. And, uh, you know, and that's what I love in this community is it isn't something where you have to come in and like, not that there's anything wrong with coming into something and proving yourself. And, but I actually really like, because for me, fashion, cosplay, it's fun. I want to go, I want to have fun. I don't want to do more work. I want to, you know, like, go at it and just meet somebody and say hello and they tilt their hat and I do my crazy skirt thing and we go. I think it's called a curtsy or something like that. I like, like crazy that. skirt. Crazy skirt thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, it, and it's fun. It's a, it's a form of play and relaxation. So I actually feel like steampunk's a great um, fashion and cosplay style to get into because there aren't so many bars and rules 
and you can do what you want. You can change it whenever you want. You don't have to start something and then continue to do it. You can add on. Um, and I think I like to add to as well custom <coughs> ideas on how to start. You do not have to be brown. You don't have to wear brown. You don't, and I'm just gonna say it one more time. You don't have to wear brown. Um, I don't know how that happened. That in the pictures, they're brown. Everyone's got on brown. Like brown's fine, but you actually have, yeah, brown. There's nothing wrong with it, but you don't have to, and you also don't have to put gears on anything. Um, there was a song that came out. Just put some gears. Oh on my it. gosh! It's right. song, and it's it's hilarious. It was but like gentleman right 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 maybe was it gentleman? And that that was how at the time how many things were just like I found these boots. Oh they need gears or they can't be steampunk. There really weren't gears on things, like whether you're being historically accurate or not. You don't need gears on your boots. You don't need them on your goggles. You don't need goggles. Um, because I do feel like some people feel very limited, no offense, Godzilla, that they have to do this or else it's not steampunk, no offense, respect. Um, <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you. But you, you really don't have to do that. Um, a lot of our character things came out of the fact that, um, so kind of jokingly, lovingly to these older people who we were with at the time, we were quite young, um, we became uh, apprentice style characters. This was an age of apprenticeship. A lot so of the Reginald jobs that you had. There you go. Esquire. Yeah, play play a little of that. <laughs> it's actually you just have to. It has a good taste. It's catchy. Oh, sorry. Oh. Look at the But a lot of. Old time. Shouldn't go too far. Oh yeah, it's a long one. And there's a steampunk twist. Yeah. Futuristic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we like that. The sort of pastiche. story behind that I need way too much money for but beside the point I saw a woman at an event who had these um, adorable shoes kind of low heel with um, with these like geary butterflies on the front and I'm like oh that would be perfect with that skirt so I bought the, those and the first event I wore them to I discovered to my chagrin that those little geary things on the front of the shoes are like little hooky things and they, like the first three steps and they're just ripping the hem out yeah. and I'm like Oh my oh, God! What do I do? Oh, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have right, warned you. Right, right. I, this should have been like a trigger warning for that. <laughs> and so this girlfriend of mine, who's a costumer, she's like, "Oh, we can fix that." And she just walks up to me. She grabs my skirt, big full skirt, like like this. And she just goes. She takes like a handful and she goes, Rrr, and she stuffs it in my waistband. She goes, Rrr, and she stuffs it in my waistband. And she goes, "There, fixed." And I'm like, "Okay then." And then I bought a pair of skirt lifters from some other girlfriend, so now I can wear it. But it's like. You gotta look at those gear things are sharp. Yeah. Yes, so they are. Just um, you should test run your costumes before yes. you wear them. Sounds like a steampunk jock skirt lifter. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was for the smallest of children. They hit under yes. your skirts. It was a works program for 
little destitute children in the uh, you know workhouse, we lend them out to be skirt lifters. Our exact care. Is that why Russell's got so big in the back? Yes. For the children. For the children. We're going to say something. We're going to keep doing. Yes, we are. We're going to riff on this all day. So. Um, I can see the badge. <laughs> oh, oh no, David. You've just given me ideas. Chief Skirtlifter. <laughs> so, I was going to say that historically, steampunk, this is in the real world, when it first started, which was uh, in the aughts, the big thing wasn't gear. It was yeah. clocks. Yeah. And people used yes. to wear these clocks around their neck mm-hmm. and clocks all over the place. Oh, flavor, flavor. <laughs> Both. 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 <laughs> flavor, flavor, and steampunk. Yeah, and and you can see that that obviously has progressed. But I'm just, I often wonder. Well, after we get through the gears, what's the next yes, thing? Yes. And I think it's hydraulic lifters. But uh, <laughs> that, yeah, yes. I have a question. Maybe it is the next thing. I don't know. Like in Gale, Gale characters books, and if the Parasolfi temperate, there's like. Vampires and werewolves and werelinuses and were monkeys and all that. Can you be a supernatural being as well? So actually, can I? Um, so I haven't talked about my character at all, um, mostly because it's kind of like aside, aside, yeah, from the point. But um, so my character uh, has evolved from this main cafe in the beginning, um, and he's actually from a world of magic. He was a, a magic, a magician apprentice. Um, and then he, through a series of unfortunate events, ends up trapped in this inter-reality web and he's trying to escape. Um, and the main world, like hub world, that he, and the first world that he and Replica end up in, uh, is a steampunk world. And so he has to kind of uh, unravel some puzzles there, but it's very much this idea that, you know, he's, you know, he comes to this world and he's like, what the hell is going on? Things run on steam. <laughs> and he's really angry throughout like the first like major part of the story because he's like, this is totally inefficient. Like I can come up with a hundred ways to do better, even with the technology they have. Um, but you know, he has to make it work because you know, he, wants, he has to fit in. Um, so I I feel like you can very much uh, integrate the two. You don't it doesn't have to be like they come from a different world. But I think that um, in essence in its essence, steampunk is about the technology and the culture and the kind of society, uh, and it's perfectly natural to then add fantastical elements to that because it doesn't exclude that from just thinking about the history and the, and the society and the culture. So I think it's a, a very natural thing, especially those of us who love fantasy, to add those fantastical elements in. Absolutely. And I I know a lot of costumers and people who say, I can steampunk that. And so, um, particularly if you go to Comic-Con in San Diego, you'll see a lot of mashups of of steampunk and something else. So, you know, particularly steampunked superheroes are very popular at Comic-Con, and some of the costumes are really amazing. So... So yeah, I mean, you know, I can steampunk that, right? So there's a, there's an awful lot of that. Classic, yeah. yeah. 
So, and um, I also think it's so grand to add supernatural elements because if you're coming from that 19th century sort of inspiration source, they were obsessed, historically, obsessed with the supernatural, the spiritualism, I mean, like, the vampire tales coming out in the 19th century, like Varney and Dracula. And so they were themselves obsessed. So why not play on that? Well, you were obsessed with it because it was real. Going back to the steampunk scholar, one of the things he said is uh, steampunk you can think of as uh, an art form in which to pour something else. So, and your, your art then fills that up. And you can pour in magic and other things, but have the aesthetic, much in the same sense that you can make something art deco or art nouveau or, or modern. They, they, they're still houses, but they just have a different skin. One of the things that he pointed out in the traditional sense that steampunk came out of literature, and you can sort of think of the Jules Verne, or, um, et cetera, but one of the things he said is that there is almost always some kind of, and what we would in the modern world call magic, but what they called science, there's usually some green goop or there's some kind of ether or there's something that's really not quite, that allows you to use a steam boiler in an airship. Um, it actually flies. <laughs> or that you could travel so fast that you needed goggles or your eyeballs would just dry out. Whatever that was, and though I'm, I know I'm kind of making the leap from sort of magical uh, extra science concept over to the, uh, the the kind of other types of worlds, but all of those things can be poured in, and like you said, you can think of it as a mashup, but but really it's a skin that you're putting on things. Totally. I like that. Yeah, Dr. Fershon is very much Dr. like, it is um, an aesthetic, and I love that idea. It's, it's been sort of a revelation to me. Also, obviously, I recommend him to all of you. He's a lovely character. He has a website, and he's his book is just out. Yeah, no, it came out. He like debuted it yesterday, didn't he? Yep, Steampunk FAQ. FAQ, yeah, just out. We ordered it on the interwebs last night. So that's going to definitely be a good read, by the way. So I'm sure there was a question in there somewhere or something. We have for a couple of pragmatic logistic suggestions. If everyone went down the row and offered like a favorite piece of advice or pragmatic sort of thing, that would be good. Okay. Would you like to start, Sparky, because it's your idea? I, okay, so um, in real life, I'm a computer scientist, and so and I might be a little bit obsessive-compulsive, and so I have, no joke, a, <laughs> like it's news. What was that? I didn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I, honest to God, have a spreadsheet, and this spreadsheet has, in the left column, the names of all of my costumes. They all have names. And then there's an individual cost column for the shoes and the top and the bottom and the stockings and the, the and the pants and the what? The components. There's all the components that make up this costume. And um, so first of all, this by itself uh, is a very handy thing because I've done this more than once. You, you get to the con, you're like hundreds of miles from home and you're like, oh no, I forgot literally one time the stockings that went with actually this costume. And, um, and I had to rush around and I was in this little nowhere town in Northern California. Um, to find something I could wear. So first of all, that's very handy, so you don't forget any of the bits of your costume. But the other thing I will tell you, and I suspect this applies to women or, or people who cosplay as women more than it does to men, which is that 
not all of the bits of your costume are as comfortable as the bit other ones. And so I actually have this spreadsheet marked where some of the cells are marked in red, which means, hey, this bit's not very comfy. Remember that, like these shoes aren't very comfy. So if you're gonna be walking, don't do that. I'm not personally very comfortable in corsets. So if you saw me last night at the fashion show, in my Queen of Hearts costume, visually I'm very proud of it. I'm only good for a couple of hours in that costume. Uh, and the, um, the, the famous San Diego maker, the Iron Tailor, um, Bob Mogg. Yeah, Bob Mogg. There was a Bob Mogg point in here about something. Yes, stage versus. Stay, thank you so much, my darling. Um, there are there are hall costumes and there are stage costumes, and he says it from the perspective of how finished the costume looks when people are close to you or far away. But the other thing is, the costume you can wear on stage, like last night, you know, so wear it for half an hour, do the thing, get off, get out of the costume is very different from the costume you're gonna wear standing in the vendor hall all day. So I would say, think about that with your costumes and what you're gonna be doing in them because you don't wanna be miserable. And I will also say, as a finishing on this, plan for the entire weekend. In fact, we were talking earlier, it's like, okay, I'm gonna wear that fabulous costume the first day, but I know by the third day, my feet are gonna be hating me and I'm not lacing myself up. So stage your costumes for how tired you're gonna be. And think about how you can go to the bathroom and eat the food. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That's correct. Um, my advice may be hopefully interesting and, and hasn't been stated before, which is when you go into the steampunk community, what is evolved into is not only dressing up, having a character, but another component that has become very important is what we call the maker side. And the maker side says, I know how to tailor something or make it mine in some way, shape, or form. So if you're going into this, not only think about the character and the clothes, but I would suggest if, if you already have a talent, wonderful, expand upon it. But if you don't, learn to sew on a button learn how to work with epoxy glue or learn something and become the king or queen of doing that so that when you meet somebody in the steampunk community after you explain your character and you go oh that's wonderful that's then you can also say look i sewed this button on or i made these buttons or i did this hat myself you don't have to be great at it you just have to learn a little because i find that it's the maker community that's actually more curing steampunk right now than all the interesting little personality things. Mm -hmm. So um, I have a lot of responses. I'm going to throw in really quick, and then also my my personal advice. I think that if you're a steampunk, you are a maker. You're either making a community, you're making stories, you're making art and costume, you're making something. And here in Tucson. If you want to learn to make something, we do workshops for free, like eight, nine months out of the year, every month, and it's free. You come, we'll teach you how to do things. And every steampunk I know loves to teach something, and they definitely love to talk about the thing. <laughs> so, oh, tell me about those buttons you sewed on. Let me give you the history. Um, so my favorite advice for getting going in steampunk uh, especially on the costuming front and the character front, is marry them. 
have your costume tell a story. The elements of your costume when you're shopping, you, you said it earlier, if you're not careful, you'll end up with like chaos. I am chaos, that's fine with me. But, but if you have a plan and a character, or at least a character and theme for a particular costume, and you make everything uh, with an eye towards how does this develop my character, what statement does it make about my background, my employment, my age, my likes, uh, my favorite color, you know, how often I have access to clean water, if I'm dying from cyanide poisoning, you know, it's the 19th century. It's a lot of death. It's grunging. Yeah, it's grunging. Nothing's really that shiny for long. So um, just finding those elements and including some story bits. I mean, all of my costumes relate to some aspect of my character and personality. They have a lot of story that's real and a lot of made-up stories. So I find that really helps. Um, I think I would add as far as... um you know, starting your costumes out. First, I want to say, really, if you can do a spreadsheet, or we use uh, just those Dollar Tree suit bags and put the whole costume together oh, yeah. in the bag. Like, if you can find a way to organize it, do, because for a while, every single con we went to out of town, we would be at Walmart at the last minute, <sighs> near tears, trying to find, I, I forgot a dress once, a whole dress, oh. you know, and like trying to find something. And it's like, okay, we'll just don't wear a costume that day. That's not how it works for me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, try to get organized and also um, really find your thing. Like, whatever it is that you do or maybe you want it to do, like, find your thing that you really like. I'm a fan of um, thing, all things dark and creepy. And so a lot of my stuff, that comes out. Um, you were saying, what's the next thing? I think the next thing are insects. I'm seeing a lot of insect oh. stuff in steampunk recently, whether they be, uh, you know, like someone made them insects. But, yeah, and, uh, you know, what's nice about it is, again, it kind of, um, feeds a little bit of my darkness of some dead thing that I'm wearing. Um, find your thing. Uh, similar to like the thing that you make. It might not be something that you make or, or art, but you can have a look even. You know, like, you know, maybe you want to be, you know, voodoo king, steampunk type of thing. And that and that becomes your thing. And it's not even to show off. It's just you want to be comfortable. Not even, not just physically in your clothes, but feeling like yourself while also maybe being a little bit of somebody else. So um, I just wanted to mention before we go that uh, you shouldn't underestimate found items. Uh, so a lot of the elements that we incorporate into our costumes are not things we bought. We do go to the thrift store a lot to get some of our stuff. Uh, but it's just things that like we were taking apart and there was this one piece that's like, hmm. Or like, I know you've done this before where like, just crunched up something to throw away and I'm like no it's the perfect shape um, and she's like what are you talking about uh, but you know so don't underestimate the power of just like random stuff you find around and then think about how you can steampunk things um, even if it's sim as simple as going and buying some spray paint and spray painting it um, but it could also be something that's just really fancy you can make a necklace out of it or you know, make an armband out of it or whatever. But I think that, you know, a lot of people underestimate just what's around you um, and the things that sometimes we just throw away. Uh, and I think that those are some of the most fun elements that we've had in our, on our cosplay. Yeah. So All right, so I think we're about at time. What's our time? May I give yes. a 30 second story? No, you may. I was about to ask for last comments. So oh, you okay. can. Oh, okay. Please. Um, I'll try to keep this short. Uh, this is a Googleable item. 
in San Diego, a bunch of steampunks got kicked out of a mall because they wanted to ride a carousel. And uh, the outcome of that was that they were interviewed by the local news, which was then picked up by an L.A. station, and that was then broadcast at a national level by CNN that steampunks were thrown out of this mall. Now, what's interesting about this is the fact that something so negative happened, and the reason why was that the, 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 the mall cops, if you want to call them that, were basically following their policy to the letter, which is nobody should show up in costume unless it's uh, Halloween, and these people were clearly in costume because they were dressed like Victorians. So, um, but the story that came out of it was that they had a uh, camera, and live on TV, well, not live, but sent out, was there was a woman they were recording who was um, a little younger than me, but she was heavy set. And she said, oh, they asked her, why do you dress like a, like a steampunk? And rather than giving sort of the standard answer, she said, I put makeup on and a dress every day and go to work and nobody notices. Mm -hmm. But when I put on a steampunk outfit and I put on my favorite hat and I show up, everybody tells me I'm beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so, it's not just a personality change. It's not a pretending to be something else. They told her she was beautiful, dressed as a steampunk. That's lovely. Thank you. Do you have any last questions before we wrap it up? Panelists, do you have any last tidbit you'd like to share before we bid adieu? I think we're just going to plug. You can find us at theindigopath.com. We got cards on the table. Um, and we do, again, art. We make those shiny things he was talking about. Like, never be ashamed to get your stuff made for you if you just want to have it made. Yeah, we do custom. Uh, yeah, we do custom work as well. And I bought these guys books. You should buy it, too. It was really cool. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we did not pay her to say that. Where <laughs> can we find you on the interwebs and here at the convention? So in the, at, here at the convention, we are, we are in the vendor room. Dealer room, sorry, dealer room here. Sometimes it's merch hall, sometimes it's bedroom. So we are there. We have all all sorts of books. If you haven't nabbed some, please come nab one because we'd rather not carry them home. And on the interwebs, you can find us at. I know you're going to be stunned by this. Drakeandmctrowell.com, two L's in McTrowell. But if you get as far as Drake and McTrowell, I'm pretty sure that Google will cough up the right answer. That's true. It will. <laughs> yes. Um, like us on Facebook. We don't spam people. We mostly do a like we. I shared the video from last night, and if we're going to be at a con, I do one post that goes, hey, we're going to the con, here's what we're going to be doing, or if we have a new book out, but we're not like, every day, buy our book, buy our book, no, we don't do that, that's not us. Uh, the one thing I would add to that is on our website, we also have what's called the logbook, which means uh, if you want, you can send us a picture of yourself in your steampunk outfit, and if you have a backstory, we will post that for you, and we will keep it permanently on the web, and it's... It's just a fun thing we do for people in the steampunk. Thank you, all of the panelists here. It's so lovely having this conversation. Thanks for being here. Lovely chatting with you. Yeah, I know. I love that. It's like yeah. to be with all my friends and talk about steampunk. <laughs> um, thank all of you also for joining us today. I hope you had a lovely time. Hope to see you out at some events. I mean, here in Tucson, the TSS hosts an event a month. We have book club pretty much every month. We uh, do workshops like every month. So you should come do something with us some month because it's happening. <laughs> Promise.
<laughs> and bound to be loads of fun. Thank you. Yeah. All right, cheers. And I'm on the next panel, so Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening. <laughs>